Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today, we have Tom Searcy. He is a nationally known best-selling author, speaker, and considered the leading sales expert on how to find and land whale size accounts. You may know Tom through one of his books, Whale Hunting, How to Land Big Sales and Transform Your Company, RFP Suck, and How to Close a Deal Like Warren Buffett, Lessons from the World's Greatest Dealmaker. We're talking to him today about his newest book, Life After the Death of Selling, How to Thrive in the New Era of Sales. Tom lays out for senior executives, frontline sales leaders, and the salesperson what their roles will be and how to leverage new techniques to survive the estimated elimination of one million sales jobs in the U.S. over the next five years. We explore these concepts today with our returning guest, Tom Searcy. Tom, welcome back to BizTalk. Jim, it's my pleasure. Good to be on the show again. Thanks so much. Well, I have to admit, Tom, when we got an advanced copy of your book, you say that in the sales arena that we're going to lose a million jobs over the next five years. I started thinking about what my alternatives could be. <laughs> so, so if I don't... If I don't want to be one of those one million being eliminated here, I was kind of surprised at statistic. I've, I've just not heard that before. So tell us a little bit about that. Where's that coming from, and what's the impact of that? Well, you know, it's not one that I made up. It comes from the U.S. Department of Labor Statistics, and they did an analysis. They do an analysis first going backwards and then forecasting the future, and they look at business-to-business jobs, and they make a prediction you know, against all categories. And they believe one million jobs, about 22%, are going to go away. And it really comes from an analysis of what happens because of the power of the different changes in all sorts of things. But right now, it's the digitization, the number of jobs that are going to go away because of the Internet and the ability of people to handle, research, look at, and watch you know, the videos of installations and take care of so much of the purchase process on their own, through these kinds of methods. And so those were the kinds of things that salespeople did, right? And so if you can watch how it gets installed or how it works or you can get reviews from other people online, well, then you don't need a salesperson to do that. If a salesperson was required to take an order and you can do that online, well, then you don't need a salesperson for that. And if you needed one to service or take care of you because you had a question or because you had a problem and you can do that online, well, then you don't need a salesperson. So those are all functions that a salesperson has fulfilled over time. And so now those jobs start to go away. And there's a million of them that are predicted to go away. So isn't it true, though, that at some point somebody has to sell something? Don't we still need a salesperson to, I guess, use persuasion or direct people in the right areas? Well, first of all, it doesn't say in a million jobs that go away that every job goes away. So absolutely right. There's a large number of the jobs that are going to 
still be there. So, you know, the first point I make is that 80% almost, 78% of the jobs are still going to be in place for exactly the reason that you're talking about. There has to be persuasion. There has to be the opportunity for people to have a conversation about products and services and how things work. It's just there's going to be a big reduction. But here's the big thing. For big, complex sales and the kinds of ways in which they work, there's actually going to be an increase in jobs in that one area. You know, so all the other areas are going to go away, but if you sell complex and larger kinds of operations kind of integrated into the way one of your customers or prospects does work and it's a bigger ticket item, those jobs are going to actually increase. And there's a lot of reasons for that. What I hear you saying is that if you want to stay in sales, if you want to remain relevant, then you're probably going to need to enhance a certain skill set. That's exactly right. I mean, if you're just a transaction processor, well, then that job is more than likely going to suffer and start to be eliminated. And if you're just a tech help kind of a person, then that's going to suffer as well. Right. But the job that is really going to be stuck or is going to grow is what's called the lead me position. And that job is going to be kind of a job that helps your customers and prospects see the future. It's one in which you help your prospect see how they can serve their customer better, how to grow their margin, how to grow their sales, how to eliminate their costs. And you really tell them but how they make their decisions, how they change their business, not just how they buy your product or service. And that area is going to be the bigger deal. That's what's going to make things easier to sell. And it really comes down, and you and I have been in sales for a long time and understand sales. It's kind of funny, but it's really about not about selling. It's really about becoming a business executive who sits down across the table with another business executive and solves a problem. Do you call this the lead me position? That's correct. It's the lead me position. There's really kind of four categories that have been defined when they look at those kinds of jobs. There's the show me position, which is the job that illustrates how things work, right? There's the serve me position, which is really the transaction processor. There's the guide me position, and that person really is leading someone through with the kinds of RFP, RFQ, online buying kinds of methodologies. And then there's the lead me position. That's the person that kind of helps buyers, prospects, and even current customers to the future through a methodology where business executives help other business executives to solve a problem. So, Tom, in your experience, when you look at those categories and we look at, in generally speaking, salespeople in America today, where do most of them, in your opinion, fall? What category? Well, statistically, the largest number fall into, unfortunately, into the serve me category. They fall into the transactional process, and that's going to be the position that is going to have the most reduction in the labor force. Out of the million jobs that are going to be lost, inside of that category, 33% are going to be reduced because, again, that's the area where digitization is the most easy, is the easiest to apply. You can create an order form or template or methodology, even for business-to-business, transactions to occur online. 
regular customers are buying parts, they're buying even equipment, even heavy equipment online today. The internet used to be a business-to-consumer tool. It's now become a business-to-business tool, and it's increasing in its capabilities every day to support business-to-business buyers. What does that do? It eliminates the need for business-to-business salespeople. Listening to you here, where do you think we're at in the phase of getting to where you're predicting sales forces are going to be? At the beginning, we're kind of in the middle of the storm. We're coming out the other side. Where are we at? I'll give you a little bit of data, and then I'll give you an opinion. Okay. The U.S. Department of Labor Statistics puts it this way. They do rolling forecasts. In 2002, they predicted that in 2012, there would be an increase in jobs in business-to-business sales of 10%. So over the course of the next 10 years, there'd be an increase of 10%. In 2012, they looked back, and there was a decrease of 2%. So there was a negative turn on their prediction of 12 points, a negative an amount of negative 12 points. And so the beginning of the reduction had already happened, and that's because the Internet and the beginning of the reduction had already happened and was going on. I believe that we are in the middle of it, and we're not quite out of the back end, but because there's still groups of people that are fundamentally believing in territorial sales. But what's happening is is territorial sales, where you drive around and you cut territories, or you you have territories and all sorts of things like that with salespeople, what's happening is that when uh, territory is somebody leaves a territory, instead of replacing the sales representative in that territory, uh, they consolidate that territory. So instead of having two people, they have one person. And when they start to look at inside customer service, they make them inside customer service and inside sales. And so that's where you start to see the reduction of the million jobs happen inside. It's almost imperceptible, but it's actually really occurring as those consolidations occur. And that's where the 22% is going to happen, and that's why the 2% has already happened, or the negative 10%. It didn't grow. It started the negative slip, and that's why it's going to happen in the next five years, uh, is, is that we're on the slippery slope. Our guest is Tom Searcy. In addition to Tom sharing his wisdom, you can find other experts that have shared their wisdom with us here on BizTalk. Those are available as podcasts on our website and cover business topics in the areas of recruiting, leadership, marketing, performance management, sales and sales management, and, of course, personal development. You can download those podcasts from our website at biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. Tom, what is the impact if you're one of those companies that is involved with complex sales and is involved with having salespeople doing some of the service work and is involved in having territories? What's the impact to that company today? Well, there's a couple of things. You know, where they say, you know, high tide raises all boats. Right. Low tide sinks all boats. So. As the market starts to change, what will happen is is that organizations that are out there, they'll all start to change. So if you don't anticipate the change and you don't start to make the change, then you and your competitors will start to reduce workforces at the same rate. None of the players in the marketplace will gain an advantage. So all that will happen is that the margin is not available to you, and so you'll start to reduce prices or costs at the same rate. However, 
if you are able to see that that is coming, then you'll start to make the changes the best that you can. You'll start to transfer outside salespeople into inside salespeople or inside service people now as best you can by taking your lower value and lower revenue customers and make those transitions now. Focus on your more complex and larger accounts and get key account sales teams. And then by doing that, you're going to make those transitions more quickly. You'll serve your customers a little bit better, and you'll get the cost efficiencies earlier. And by doing that, then, of course, you're more competitive out in the marketplace. It will cause you to have a reduction in some of your sales positions, but some of that is happening already as we start to look at the effect of unemployment. Most of the people that are out there recognize that unemployment has benefited by people who have stepped out of the workforce. So our unemployment has benefited because people have retired. And some of the people that are in that same baby boomer cycle will make a decision to retire from the workforce because they've decided that this is a good time to do so because they don't want to step into the complex sale world. They prefer to step out of that business world. You know, it's almost like what you're saying is what's going to happen to sales departments is what's happened to other departments over the last decade. I mean, accounting is cut down, customer service is cut down, warehouse is cut down for all the same reasons. Now it's catching up to the sales department, really. Technology makes an impact in all areas of labor, and you're right. exactly right. You know, on the curve of change, it's possible that sales is just the last, you know, area of businesses where this has happened. But it's not unique. It may be that it's just, just the latest one in that cycle, you know, what happens in technology. Really, when you look at this book, then, there's impacts at three levels. You as the sales professional, you as the sales leader, and you as the leader of your company. So let's talk about those three things. If I'm a salesperson today and I want to remain in sales, I want to make it my career, and I want to be financially rewarded, let's say at a very good level for that, what should I be focused on today in order to protect my career and remain a professional for the next two decades? The core of what a salesperson should be doing, and you've seen this in the top salespeople, so it's not necessarily unique, but it is more compelling than it ever has been before. And that is, is that you need to be a value to your customer's business, not as knowledgeable about your product or service. It doesn't mean that you're not knowledgeable about it, but you have to be more relevant to the customers, the financial position, and the market position of your customers and their industry. You have to be an advisor to those customers and businesses. Secondly, you have to be able to speak at a higher level because you have to be with the decision makers. And there's this saying that I think is really apropos, and that is you get sent to whom you sound like. If you sound like the foreman at the front line and you're uncomfortable or can't speak to an executive, then you're not able to talk to the most important influencer and decision maker. Candidly, the foreman or the front line person is no longer the decision maker. So you have to be able to move up the positions in the ladder, and that part is in part about what are the problems that you're solving. So you have to be able to do that. And the third point I would make about what professional salespeople have to do is they have to give an impression of the future. You know, sales used to be defined by selling a picture of a better future. Sales was in the world 
of selling a better future. Unfortunately, over the course of the last decade or more, sales became about selling a better current, you know, a better price for the now, a better widget, an immediate moment, and, you know, features and benefits. We lost our ability to sell a better future. When you start to become an advisor and you're speaking to a senior executive, you have to sell a better future. That's what the key issues are for a complex sale at a higher level to a higher executive. Then why is it, Tom, that there seems to be this common persistent thought that I better know and understand my products inside out and I better get comfortable with that or I'm not going to be as prepared to go on this sales call? That's what I see in the marketplace is salespeople still focused on product features and benefits and they have to be so comfortable with that. You're talking about almost the complete opposite of that. Well, I think it goes back to that idea that they're going to sell to frontline users rather than the features or the issues, I'm sorry, the problem-solving of the executive. The answer is, is that engineers talk to engineers. When we get to the idea that we are working through the specs and the product lines and et cetera, that's a confirmation of effectiveness and compliance. That's the second or third stage in a sales process. When we introduce the engineers to each other or the product people to each other or the service people to each other, We already have the executive's blessing. Now we're just making certain that what we've talked about works in the way that we've promised that it will work. So first, make certain that you can solve the business problem, and now make certain that the product works. What we started off with, and that's why the salespeople are so worried, is because they go in the wrong door. They go into the small door. They get stuck in the small room. They go in through the product and service door, and they let the frontline people ask them about the product instead of going into the executive door and see if we can't solve the future and figure out what it is that they're trying to solve for their business. So, Tom, I'm sitting here today, professional salesperson. I'm hearing you're saying maybe it's a paradigm shift based on what you just said. How do I learn what those business problems are at that executive suite? How do I know when they're sitting around their conference room, they say, gosh, if we could only solve this, we would be so much better? I think you start off with that idea that I need to be informed about how executives think. So, I mean, there's a lot of information that is out there that's available online and available through publications and that is available through all sorts of different mediums about executives and how they think, what their ideas are, and what are the issues that are facing them right now. When I see salespeople and ask them what they read, I find often what they read are trade journals. Well, trade journals are really aimed at, you know, middle-level management and product management and product education. They're not aimed at executives and executive decision-makers. Well, I go back to my statement earlier. You get sent to whom you sound like. So if all you're talking about is the next product, uh, the next thing that's coming out, and et cetera, and a person who's at the VP level or at the owner level, that's not what they're concentrating the majority of their day on. They may know some of that information, but they're probably thinking a lot further out in the future. They're thinking about other kinds of topics, and that's what something like the Wall Street Journal will tell you about or Inc. Magazine will tell you about or other kinds of executive publications and online information will tell you about. It's those kinds of things that are going to give you the opportunity to see what are executives asking about, thinking about, and what are they talking about? 
Because if you get sent to whom you sound like, you need to sound like they do. You need to worry about the kinds of things that they worry about. Well, Tom, I'm a sales manager today, and gosh, you just cut out half my salespeople. What am I supposed to be doing with my day and time? So the new world for a sales manager looks like what? What are they doing? There's statistics that look at the biggest impact of what sales leaders can improve performance on. And we look at those statistics, there are some surprises for me and what the most impactful thing is that a sales leader does. The first thing that is most important is picking the specific accounts and targeted people that a sales representative is calling upon. So before coaching, before evaluating margin, before evaluating pitches and all those kinds of things, the first thing you do is you pick who your representatives call on. You don't allow your representatives to make their own decisions about who they are going to call on. That's a paradigm shift. These territories, these areas, these categories, these market, you know, the market verticals and et cetera, oftentimes we let representatives make their own decisions. But the fact is, is that if you want to dramatically improve the performance, and you as a sales leader have to pick those. The second thing is pre-call preparation and call coaching. Most of the time, sales representatives are of the mindset that they go into the sales call and they wing it. Well, pre-call preparation and getting people ready to think like and prepared to be ready to have the conversation that's necessary is one of the biggest ways in which a sales leader can affect the performance of their sales representative. And then the third one is to be in the sales call with their representative so after the sales call they can coach. So these three things, And that's whether the deals are small, medium, or large. But the more complex the deals are and the larger those sales opportunities are, the more impactful the three things I've talked about are going to be affected. And all the things I've just talked about take more time. So if you take your sales force and you go from 10 people to 7 people, you haven't reduced your workload. You've increased your workload with those 7 people, but those 7 people are going to be better. Well, then the next obvious question is, if I'm a sales leader, boy, I'm sure looking for different talent in who I'm going to hire. So based on your experience, what are we looking for in the skill sets of sales professionals that can execute on what you're talking about? There's a lot on on hiring. (laughs) Not enough time in the program, huh? (laughs) That's right. There's not a lot out there. But, you know, there are a couple of things that I would add. I want to know, first and foremost, I want to know what they read and what they feed their brain. So I want to know what they read and what they feed their brain. Secondly, I want to know what are the sizes of the deals that they have worked on, the sizes of the sales that they've worked on on a regular basis, and how long the sales cycle has been. Because here's the circumstance. If the sales cycles they've worked on are longer than our sales cycles, well, they're going to get frustrated. Because, you know, if they're longer than our sales cycles and ours are short, they're going to wonder why there's so much pressure from inside the organization to close. If their sales cycles are shorter than ours, they're going to get frustrated because they're not getting that close, close, close feeling, right? And if the big or small are the wrong numbers, then they're going to have the wrong sense whether they're winning or losing as far as the organization goes. So I want to figure out how they think. I want to figure out 
what feeds their brain, and I want to see if they are aligned with what the kind of work that they're going to do. The one piece of advice you would give a company president today as relates to this topic would be what? Be in the field on your biggest deals. Presidents always are often hide in their offices or stay in their offices. I shouldn't call it hide, but stay in their offices, either operationally or financially. Instead of understanding that in the area of complexity and financial size, they need to be out in the marketplace helping to direct the choices. These things do not work well by remote control. Now, I'm not saying on every sale and in every market introduction, but with the changes that are occurring, the size and complexity of what I'm discussing, they need to be out in the market in front of prospects and customers more frequently to understand the changes that are happening and to understand how they can affect that inside of the culture of their company and in the other areas in which they deliver service and value so they can redirect their company on how they do the work that they do for their customers. The biggest misconception about selling today is what? That it's a department. The biggest misconception is that sales is a department, that all the work in selling goes over to the salespeople. You know, inside of a large, complex deal, you know, if you're an engineer, you don't want to talk, uh, you know, in the prospect or in the customer base, you don't want to talk to the salesperson. You want to talk to an engineer. If you're an operations person in the prospect or customer, you want to talk to the operations person in the company and so on. You want peer-to-peer connection. And you don't want to talk to the salespeople. And so it's an organizational, it's a company approach to developing a relationship, solving problems and selling. And when they say, well, why aren't the salespeople doing it? It's because the people don't want to talk, at least in the complex sales. They don't want to talk to the salespeople. They want to talk to the people who are going to be doing the work and actually solving the problem. Let's come back to your landmark book, Whale Hunting, How to Land Big Sales and Transform Your Company. Is it still relevant today? Absolutely. I mean, the core idea is that a team is what's necessary to land a big deal, that it's a process with step-by-step identifiable kinds of work and roles and measurable levels of success, that you don't hunt every opportunity out in the marketplace, that you make decisions about what are the kinds of things that you are going to hunt, that everyone in the organization, you know, stars or eats because we effectively work together. And it's a culture that does that. All of those principles and those cores and those core beliefs and ideas are still relevant now. And the cultural idea that makes that work still relevant now. And I would submit maybe even more relevant now because of the fact that all these things have eliminated the jobs in the areas that are transactional, et cetera, and are now complex sales at a larger value. Remember, it's whales, right? It's, you know, you're not trolling for small fish or trying to go ahead and pick up the medium-sized things. You're going after the big deals, and that's why the complexity and the size is out there, and that's what's going to be rewarded in the long run. Tom, as you're dealing with executives of companies today, what's on their minds? What are they concerned about, or what are they optimistic about today? You know, the number one focus, and this has been researched by a number of people because they ask on this on a regular basis, number one concern is new customer acquisition. Most of the companies and the CEOs up till about 2003, their 
key concern was organic growth. How do I take my current customers and get them to grow by either product extension or by just larger share of wallet? And that's moved down into third place. And what's moved into first place is new customer acquisition. So that's what's driving their thoughts. Tom, is there one question today I should have asked you that I haven't? Well, you're pretty thorough in the questions that you've asked so far. I think the one question that I would add to all of this is how is marketing going to play its role in the future for sales? Well, that would be a good question. So how does it play? Well, in the situation of marketing, there's a lot of roles. As a matter of fact, I think marketing is going to expand its role because of the digitization. I just give it two positions, but I've got a longer set of answers to that. But one position is going to be representation with continuity and authenticity. You can look at a company and you can see it everywhere. You can look at all the people who are going to visit you. You can look at all the business that's been done. You can go online and look at referrals from other customers. You can look at negative things that have been said about the customer. You can look at videos about how to install. You can look at all those things. What's the authenticity and what's the continuity across all those mechanisms so that when people see your company from any angle, how does it look the same and in a positive light? Marketing has the capability to build an authentic, consistent picture. And right now, most companies do not have an idea about how they want to represent themselves all the way through their people. So I think that that's one of the things that they can do. I think the second thing that they can do is provide customer-by-customer portfolios and dossiers because when you walk into a customer, they don't expect you that you're going to ask them questions about who they are and what they are and those kinds of things. They expect you to have done all of your homework. They expect you to come in knowing all those things and being ready to have conversations about what problems you solve. You're supposed to be preloaded with information and ready to start working on solution solving. Tom, if people wanted to learn more about you or some of your material, where would they go? If they go to Hunt Big Sales, that's Hunt Big Sales, just like it sounds, .com, they can get all sorts of free information, videos to download, all of our interviews that have occurred, and lots of my writing and blogs, all the things that we do nationally and internationally, all that's available online at HuntBigSales.com. Tom, thanks for being on the program. Jim, thanks so much for the opportunity. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.